And uh, I would like for you to take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, join us in Proverbs chapter number 10, please. The 10th chapter in the book of Proverbs is where we'll find our text tonight. And uh, before we jump into the message, I did want to just mention a couple of things. Um, And of course, we'll hear some announcements here at the end of the service. Uh, But uh, I have been made aware that we have a couple of uh, of uh, couples in our church that are celebrating some anniversaries this weekend. I'm understanding that Brother Larry and Lorraine Frost are celebrating 40 years of marriage, I think. And so congratulations to them. And uh, then I heard just for the service, Brother Adrian and his wife are celebrating 35 years tomorrow. And uh, you all need to uh, especially love on, on Sister Erin tonight because of all that she's had to put up with over these 35 years, uh, bring, being married to dear brother Adrian. And God certainly has given them quite a year this past year, and we're thankful for the Lord and how he has met their needs every step of the way as brother Adrian was de- dealing with his, uh, his injury uh, that was uh, suffered last October, I believe October the 1st. And so we want to wish uh, these couples happy anniversary, and God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, consistence and, consistency and faithfulness. I often think to myself, and I know this to be true, that the greatness of a church does not lie in its pastor. Um, The greatness of a church lies in the people who sit in the pews and uh, who make up the, the various churches that are across our land. And if a church is great, it's because there's great people that are faithful and just do a week after week. Uh, they're in their place. They do what God has called them to do. And of course, certainly included in that is, is just being faithful to their uh, marriage vows. And so uh, this, uh, these two couples, and there are many more uh, here in this church that have been married for decades, and we're certainly thankful for it. I, uh, I gave an, uh, an update on uh, Wednesday night as it relates to the I Love My Church offering. But of course, uh, Wednesday nights in the summer, we have uh, our classes still going on and, and uh, for the children and for the teenagers as well as for the single adults. And, uh, and so uh, many of you uh, would have missed that. I know many of you are interested in how we're doing. We began uh, collecting this I Love My Church offering the end of March. And the goal is to collect it all, I believe, by the 1st of October, but uh, we'll keep collecting it until we reach our goal. Our goal is $100,000, and um, I wanted to let you know that as it stands now, we're a little bit over $57,000 that has come in. And uh, so that is certainly a cause for rejoicing, uh, but uh, again, if you look at those numbers, it's also cause for still work to be done, right? We still are about $43,000 away from meeting our goal and, uh, and so some of you perhaps are newer to the church. You didn't even know this was going on. We, we have not said a great deal about it, uh, but we are saying something about it tonight. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, what we're funding is uh, some, some specific needs that we have here in our, uh, on our property and our facility. And, and you may have even noticed in, in some different places, you'll see some of the hardware going in uh, for the access controls. And uh, we are transitioning away, at least on the outside doors and some of the inside doors from the keys and uh, making sure that, you know, everybody that needs a key has one and that sort of thing. And we're working towards, you know, a little bit more of a modern look there. Uh, and uh, we think that that'll be helpful to us. Uh, technology, of course, drives so much that we do in our day and age, including even securing our buildings and our property. And uh, you can lock doors from, you know, many miles away. And that is going to be a helpful thing uh, for us moving forward. And then, of course, we're replacing the sound system here in the sanctuary, the one that is above me that you're hearing now. Um, I think 
was put in in the mid-1990s, and so it has definitely served its purpose, and so that's something that we're placing, as well as the networking all throughout the property, uh, and the cables, and all those sorts of things, and so the $100,000 is taking care of that, and if you have been to a grocery store recently, you realize how, uh, how much prices are rising and are increasing, and so we were able to get a lot of those prices locked in before some of the craziness of inflation uh, took off, and so we're grateful for that, uh, but again, we need God's people to give and to sacrifice, and so uh, if you have not given and you'd like to, great. If you made a pledge back in March and you haven't fulfilled that, we would encourage you to pray about uh, taking care of that and, and just asking the Lord to meet the needs uh, that are present there to enable you to, uh, to take care of that. Proverbs chapter number 10 tonight is where we'll uh, find our text, and I have no creative title for the message other than Proverbs 10. And that's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Uh, but uh, I, I just, you know, I just think there's several things that are covered here, and so we'll give it a very, very basic title, and we'll jump into things. Look in verse number one, if you would, of Proverbs chapter 10. The Bible says, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. Father, we pray that you'd bless the reading of your word tonight and help us as we dive into this text and sort of give a, an overview of this chapter, but deal very specifically with some of these matters that uh, we have read about just a moment ago. Uh, Lord, um, fill us and use us tonight. Lord, help us to leave this place knowing that we've heard a message from thee and being able to make some very, very practical application in our, in our own lives, in our homes, our families, and even in our church, we pray. Lord, thank you for the wisdom that is so freely given in your word, and specifically here in this great book of Proverbs. Now help us as we teach through it tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've, we've sort of been through in this series of the book of Proverbs on Sunday nights, I, I, I've been telling you as we come to Proverbs chapter 9, you, you can begin to see a real uh, transition and uh, that transition, of course, is, is moving away from, you know, a, a, a lengthier passage dealing with maybe one particular topic or one particular idea and, and transitioning to sort of just little soundbite, um, you know, ideas of just wisdom that are just kind of thrown out there uh, in, 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 in that uh, respect. And so I feel like as we come to this portion and really taking us really through the end of the book, we find that Solomon writes in a very a very free and a very flowing manner. Uh, it's almost as if he writes whatever comes to his mind. Have you ever, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody, maybe sitting around a dinner table, and, and maybe you have a small child, and, and there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's a topic of conversation, and then all of a sudden, somebody just kind of pipes up, and they completely change the subject altogether, and you look at them, and you're sort of like, where did that come from, right? You ever been there before in which we weren't talking about that, we weren't thinking, I mean, that is so so far out there, and sometimes we, 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 we speak of it like, man, that was so random, you know, or, you know, something like, where did that come in? It sort of feels like that's how Solomon writes really throughout the remainder of this book. 
is, um, is it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of random. It, it, it's sort of like he writes whatever comes into his mind at that point in time. And of course, we don't know. We don't know how all of this was written. Did Solomon sit down and did he say, okay, I'm writing a book. And, uh, and so he, he would just, or, or would it be as he observes life and he lives life, something enters into his mind. Certainly we understand that all scripture is given by inspiration. So God gives him a thought and he says, oh, that's really good. I've got to go write that down. And he goes and he writes it down and puts his pen down and he goes back to life and a day or two later, something else happens. He's sitting on his throne thinking about, you know, his kingdom and all that he's accomplished and, and he's just reminiscing and, and God just gives him these thoughts and he goes, I don't know how he wrote it. The Bible doesn't tell us how he wrote it. Other than we know that it was written under inspiration of God. Um, so so we, we, we don't necessarily know how these things are, but in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, it sort of reminds me of a, of a, of a blogger or uh, of somebody who has a journal. And, uh, and they just sit down and they write things that are of interest to them. You know, it may not be of interest to you. That's fine. You don't have to read it. But it's of interest to them. It's something that's happening in their life. And so they want to chronicle these thoughts and, and, and these particular ideas. I mean, in a blog or in a journal, the writer is, the author is given the freedom to write whatever is of interest to them at any given moment. There, there doesn't have to be a specific theme or emphasis. And, and that's what we sort of discover in this portion of the book of Proverbs. The only, really, the only theme is wisdom. And anything that can be construed or applied as wisdom is to be included. This is not a book necessarily about marriage, but you're going to find, you're going to find some great wisdom on marriage. This is not a, this is not a book on, you know, on, on uh, faithfulness, but you're going to find principles on faithfulness. This is not a book on how to have a successful career, but you're going to find principles of wisdom on how to have a successful career. So all of it, all of it is covered. And I want you to keep that in your mind because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Now, in this chapter, Solomon touches on the following topics. I'm just going to sort of list them for you. We don't have time to cover all of them, but I just want you to kind of see the free-flowing manner in which this chapter moves forward. In verse number one, he talks about the family. In verse number two and through verse number five, he talks about finances, including also verse number 15 and, and I suppose even some other verses. In, in, in uh, verse number seven, he talks about legacies legacies. In other words, how we leave this earth and what we're thought of, the legacy that we leave, leave behind. In verse number 8 and verse number 7, he talks about being teachable. In verses 9, 11, 13, and 14, 18, and 21, and 31, and 32, he talks about a man's walk and a man's talk. In verse number 12, he talks about what stirs strife and what covers all of sin. In verse number 22, he deals with the impact of the Lord's blessing. Verses 23 to 25, he deals with the foolish and wicked versus the righteous. In verse 26, he talks about the disappointment of a lazy man. In verse number 27, he talks about the blessing of the fear of the Lord. In verse number 28, he deals with the hope of the righteous versus the expectation of the wicked. In verse 29, he talks about the way of the Lord. And in verse number 30, he talks about the perpetuity of the righteous. And so, I mean, it is just all across the, uh, the scale, so to speak, in his writing of this, particular, uh, of this particular chapter. And really, throughout the remainder of this book. Now, the style of writing, I have to tell you, makes, for me, makes preaching through this book more challenging, much more challenging um, than what I'm used to. Uh, you see, I, I, I consider myself an expository preacher. It doesn't mean that I don't ever preach a topical message or don't ever preach an evangelistic message or a textual message, but by and large, I consider myself to be an uh, expository preacher, uh, and I believe that expository preaching 
builds the strongest churches and it builds the strongest Christians. I believe, I believe that it's the way that the Bible was, was written. It was the way that it was intended to be preached. Um, you find in, in scripture the idea of, I believe the book of Isaiah, line upon line and precept upon precept and here a little and there a little. And so it's, the word of God is always building. And, and, and so when I, when I come to a, when I come to a chapter or to a text, I begin reading, and as I'm writing a sermon or, or trying to figure out where God wants us to go, I, I, I say, okay, this is the beginning of the thought, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to come to what I believe to be the end of the thought, and, and, and contained in those, in those verses or in those paragraphs or even in that whole chapter is going to be the message. That's what an expository preacher does. And he preaches a message based on what does the text have to say. You've heard me say this before. It doesn't matter what I have to say. It doesn't matter what you have to say. You have not come here tonight, Lord help you if you did, but you've not come here tonight to hear me. Now you understand that as the pastor, I'm going to be preaching, but you're assuming, you are assuming you're under the assumption that the pastor has met with the Lord and that the Lord has given him a message and that's why you're here. And I'm thankful that you're here. And I don't think that your time here is going to be in vain. I don't think it's going to be a waste. Um, and, and that's really, that's really what, what preaching is. So as we, as we think about, you know, a text, it could be three or four verses, it could be a whole chapter, it could be 20 verses, but, but in that text there is a, there is a specific theme, a specific idea that the Holy Spirit of God wants the people of God to understand, and that theme flows throughout that entire passage of scripture. And I must tell you that if I were to preach like I normally do, we, we might be in this book for the next 10 years. Because, because typically I, I stop at what that, what that one main idea is and we try to pull the, the things out of that one main idea to give to you so that you can take them with you. Usually it's maybe three thoughts, two thoughts, maybe four thoughts or, or ideas with maybe some, some, some thoughts or ideas underneath each one. But if, if we were to do that in the book of Proverbs, because each verse in many respects is its own thought, well, you get the idea. I mean, there's 32 verses in, in Proverbs 10. And the vast majority of them are standalone thoughts. We'd be here for 32 weeks. I preached a message series in the book of Mark uh, early on in my pastorate, and I had a dear lady come to me, and it was, it was 70 to 80 messages long. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but she sort of expressed, you know, lovingly and kindly, you know, I think that's a little too long. And I've, I've kept that in mind. I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate her bringing her thoughts and her comments, and you might disagree, um, but I, I, I try to keep that in mind. So you can understand, you know, 32 messages in Proverbs 10 and 29 or however many in 11. I mean, we're going to be here till the Lord returns, right? And, and this is a big book, big book and there's lots to cover. So allow me, allow me as we move through this book to, to vary just a little bit in, in what we do and, and, and how we do things. And, and, and I just want tonight to share with you some key truths that were impressed upon my heart while reading and studying through uh, this 10th chapter in the book of Proverbs. I'm gonna just give you two thoughts, some things underneath each, and we'll be done tonight. Number one, I think as I consider, as I consider what we're moving into here in Proverbs and, and the remaining chapters, here, here's, what, here's what I was impressed with, this thought is this, that God, number one, has the right to speak into every area of your life. God has the right to speak into every area of your life. Now, as a pastor, periodically I'll get a phone call or an email and someone will want to meet with me and they'll want to um, get some form of counseling. 
dealing with something, dealing with some issue or some, uh, some problem. Um, and so they'll, they'll come to my office and they'll sit down and they'll bear their heart and they'll bear their soul and they'll, they'll assume that I am going to be able to answer them from the scriptures. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter said to me, Daddy, my, my taillight is out in my car. One of my back taillights is out of my car and, and, um, and I, 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 it needs to be fixed. I've been told that I could get a, a, a ticket if I get caught driving without a taillight. And so I said, no problem, I'm your man. I texted her back, I said, we'll, we'll take care of it. And so I thought, here we go. I'm gonna spread my wings and fly a little bit here. So I went to AutoZone and I purchased the, the light after picking out the wrong one at first and taking it up to the counter and saying, is this the right light for a Honda Accord? Uh, and the man said, no, that's not the right light. He didn't even have to look at a book or anything. He knew right away, I'm the idiot here, you know, and, and that was after consulting with Google. We're off to a great start here, you know. And so he said, no, you need, you have 7440, you need 7443. Hey, no problem. So I went back and got 7443 and went home and, and, um, and, and I said, Maddie, I got your light. Here it is. Here's the taillight that, you're, that, that you need. And I said, we're going to replace this thing tonight. And so, uh, and so I did my next step. And my next step was to pull up a YouTube video on how to change one of those, one of those lights. And, and uh, the guy, you know, I mean, he did it in four minutes and it seemed so easy. And I thought, this is a piece of cake. This would be a whole lot easier than I thought it was going to be. And so I went out to the car and I popped the, uh, the trunk and, and, uh, and, and I, I fid- fid- fidgeted around with some things, got to where I needed to go. And I untwisted the, the, the previous light and I pulled the thing out and I, and I held the new light to what I, th- I thought needed to go into the, the thing, and, and it didn't match. I mean, no, not even close. Not even close. And um, I, so then I did the third step, and the third step was to call my dad. That's step number three. And uh, we called him, and, and of course, you know, in today's day and age, you, you have video calls and that sort of thing, and so he's looking at the thing, and, you know, two preachers looking at this thing, like, and he goes, I don't know what to tell you, you know, and he says, if I was there, I'd be able to help you, but I'm not there, and, and, and I'm thinking, well, Dad, just come over, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's simply, simply fixed, and, and he said, why don't you just take it back up to AutoZone and show it to them, and I'm like, well, that's what I was trying to avoid doing, that's why I called you, I didn't want to look like an idiot at the store, and, and, uh, but we thought, you know, this this is what we need to do. And so we drive up to AutoZone, and we pull in the lot, and we go in there, and I've got, I've got the old light, and I've got the new light. And, uh, and I walk up to this, and I said, sir, you guys sold me the wrong product here. You said, and I, try, I don't know what I'm doing here. And, and he looked at me, and I mean, he had the most pathetic look on his face. I mean, he looked at me, and, 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 and he, like he was talking to like a five-year-old. And he said, he said, sir, I... I don't want to make you feel stupid. And I'm like, yeah, man, we're already there, man. Let's just load it, load it up. You know, give it to me. And he said, you know, and what I had done is I had pulled the whole thing out. And, and, and so I hadn't pulled the light out right like I thought I had. And once we did that, plugged it back in. And I mean, the thing was changed in 30 seconds. Now listen, that is the story of my life. It's the story of my life. And for some of you, it's the story of your life as well. You get it, right? And so, because of that, because of that, I acknowledge, I acknowledge that I am not, I am not going to speak into your life in certain matters. I mean, honestly, I have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to stuff like that. Now, I love it when guys are like, you know, staying around talking shop, you know, and they're talking about, you know, cars and 
carburetors and belts and fans. And, and I'm sitting here like, I have no idea what any of you are talking about. I mean, no clue at all. I, I mean, I'm, I'll have guys come over to my house and, and they're like, can you, can you get me this tool? And I'm like, you're speaking a foreign language to me as far as I'm concerned. I mean, literally, I'm that pathetic. It's, it's bad, right? And so I acknowledge, I understand that I have, no, I have no right to speak into anyone's life as it relates to home handyman stuff, auto mechanic stuff, um, healthcare, medicine. You know, that, that, is, that is an area in which I, I'm, just, I'm better off just leave it alone altogether. But here's what I want you to understand is that, that God, on the other hand, has the right to speak into the, every area of my life every area of my life, nothing is off limits. If God wants to address a subject matter in my life, so be it. Uh, I, better, I better tune my ear to what he has to say. And that's what we find in the book of Proverbs is God says, I want to talk to you about family and I want to talk to you about money and I want to talk to you about legacies and I want to talk to you about hard work and I want to talk to you about laziness and I want to talk to you about sexual purity and I want to talk to you about this and I want to talk to you about that. And we ought to, we ought to approach this book and we ought to say with an open heart, God, whatever you want to say to me, whatever area of my life that you want to speak into, God, I am all ears. You have the right. You have the authority. You have the knowledge and the wisdom to speak into every area of my life. That's what this is all about. That's exactly what this is all about. He, he has it. I mean, it could be our speech and the way we talk. It could be our daily walk, our work ethic, any topic whatsoever. God has the right to teach us how we ought to approach these areas. Now, in recent days, Christians have seemingly relegated God in their lives to certain areas or certain rooms. We allow God to have access to us in some places, but not in others. Can I say that God wants to speak into your life on Monday as much as he wants to speak into your life on Sunday? And he has the right. He has the right. Listen, he has the right to have your attention tomorrow just as much as he has it today. And if he speaks to you tomorrow, you ought to listen you ought to listen. You ought to say, it's not Sunday. God, you can't talk to me today. It's Monday. Today's my day. This is the work week. This is my life now. I'll listen to you on Sunday. No, God, God has the right to speak to you on every day about any topic. doesn't matter what it is. He has the right to speak to you on every area. Too many Christians are content to be spiritual on Sunday morning. But the rest of the week, God has given very little consideration. And many times he has even silenced in our lives. I don't believe you're going to find too many topics that the book of Proverbs does not address. And in this book, we are confronted with God having the right to speak into every area of our life. Now, now, let me just say a couple of things under this thought. Let me say, number one, I want you to understand that God is still speaking. That God is still speaking. Now, there is a, a, a famous phrase that is found in, in liberal churches today that basically says God is still speaking. And what they believe when they say God is still speaking is they believe that God is saying things today that are contrary to what he said 2,000 years ago. That's what they want you to think. And so therefore, God is still speaking. And of course, I think you know the, I think you know the position of this church. Amen. We believe God is still speaking, and he's speaking through this book. Right. He is still speaking. There's no doubt about it. But he is not, listen, he is not saying anything, anything contrary to what he has already said and already laid out here in this book. God is speaking. 
There is no man or woman who can claim that God, that, that God doesn't speak to them or that God isn't trying to speak to them. While God's voice is not necessarily heard like we would hear the voice of a fellow human being, it is not, listen, it is not hard to hear God speaking. So I began to think, how is God speaking today? And I, I, I would say that in, in three specific and clear, uh, definitive ways that God is still speaking in these ways. Number one, I would say that God speaks through creation. God speaks through creation. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The Bible says in Psalm 148, verses three to five, praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. So literally, God, God says, creation praises me. Creation praises me. Creation is, is speaking. It is, God is speaking to us through creation. Did you know that there is an all-out assault by the world to delegitimize creation? And, and, and can I tell you that it's really not all that hard to see why? The world understands, in some respects, the world understands maybe even more than what the church understands. See, the world does understand that creation is speaking God's voice, it, it's, it's God speaking to us. And, and the, world, the world says, well, we gotta silence that voice. We can't, we, can't, we can't hear that. We can't have people thinking that God did all of this. Man, if people start thinking God did all of this, then they're gonna believe that there's a God and then they're gonna think that they're accountable to him. And so, and so you understand that for hundreds of years there has been an all-out assault by the world to le- delegitimize the idea of creation and what creation is saying because to, to acknowledge creation is to hear from God. And if the world hears God speak, then they are accountable to him. But if we can conjure up another way for the origin of all things, then we can silence his voice. So evolution, Big Bang Theory, and modern science, all of these things deny any of God's involvement in creation. And they're all attempts to silence the voice of God. Why? Because creation and this world lift up their voice loudly to praise, honor, and glorify the God of heaven. God is speaking. Listen, God is speaking to us through these things. God speaks through creation. But no, secondly, God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Second Timothy 3, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So listen, this book is a living book. It's alive. It's alive. still speaking to this day, though it be thousands of years old. It has life, and it is extraordinarily powerful. Every time, listen, every time this book is opened, God is given the opportunity to speak eternal truths to mortal men. Just as the world has tried to silence God speaking through creation, oh, you better believe you better believe the devil has sought to silence God speaking through his word. And here's how he's done that, by casting doubt on this book. Did you know that there are, there are, there's a healthy population of Christians that do not believe we have God's word? Did you know that? And let that thought sink in for just a moment. 
There is a, when I say healthy, I don't mean that in a good way. I just mean in a large way. There is a large group of people who do not believe that this book is really God's word. And here's what, here's what they'll tell you. They'll, they'll get all technical with you. And they'll say, well, it, because we no longer have the originals. Because the, God's word was God's word in the originals, but these are just copies. And, and as a result, we don't have God's word. But here's the problem. The problem is God promised to preserve his word. Promised it. So if we don't have God's word, if we don't have God's word, then God's a liar. We have God's word, this book. And it should not surprise us. Listen, it should not surprise us that the devil is, is, is in the business of casting doubt on God's word. Here's what should surprise us, is that there are believers who are doing the devil's work for him. That there are pastors even, and there are Christians even, who, who, are, who are touting this kind of nonsense. We, we talked a few weeks ago there in Genesis chapter number one, and one of the first things the devil did in the Garden of Eden was to attack the, the validity and the authenticity of God's word. Yea, hath God said. First thing he did. So it should not surprise us at all that the devil is still today trying to attack God's word by planting seeds of doubt in man's mind about God's word and whether it really is truly God's word or not, whether God actually means what he says. Let me say this, don't fall for the oldest trick of the devil. It's the first thing he did. When mankind was introduced, the first thing he did was to cast doubt on God's word. Don't fall for that trick. God's word is available to us and when we open it, which is why it's so important that you do open it every day, when we open it, God speaks to our hearts through it. We ought to long to hear from God first thing every morning. We ought to long to hear from God first when we endure trials and heartaches as well as when we enjoy the blessings and joys of life. But let me say number three, God speaks not only through creation and through, and through his word, but he speaks through preaching. God speaks through preaching. We're talking about, again, the fact that God has the right to speak into every area of our lives. God speaks through preaching. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse number 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now God uses preaching to speak to the hearts of men and women, and he uses it to save the lost. In 1 Corinthians 1, God acknowledges that the world's opinion of preaching is that it is foolishness. And don't get twisted when you look at that verse. So it's please God by the foolishness of preaching. Does that mean that God believes that preaching is foolish? No, no. God is sort of borrowing a phrase from the world. God, God already understands that when the world hears preaching and when the world listens to a preacher and stand up there and preach and, 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 and does so for you know, 25, 30 minutes, the world sits back and says, you, you people sit and listen to this regularly? That's the world's philosophy. And you know it, don't you? You're gonna go to work tomorrow and some of your friends are gonna, are gonna say, you know, what'd you do yesterday? Oh yeah, I forgot. You went to church. You went to church. I was out golfing and I was out on the boat and I was here and I was there and you were in church. What a silly thing to do. What a waste of your time. That's the world's philosophy of preaching. That it's silly. The word foolishness literally means silly or absurd. Can I say that just as God warned us that the world would silence his voice in the realms of creation, and that the world would try to, the devil would try to silence his voice through his word, we sort of see a recurring theme here, don't we? Every, listen, every step of the way that God is trying to speak to you, the, the world and the devil and the flesh is trying to silence his voice. Do you, do you not see that? 
God, God says, I speak through creation. And the world says, creation? That's a bunch of hogwash. There's no such thing as creation. Evolution is how everything came to be. God had nothing to do with this. Are you, are you expect me to think that there's some, there's some man up in the sky somewhere who put all of this together? You really expect us to believe that? You, you expect me to believe that, that God, over a period of 1,500 years, used 40 men or more to, to write out this book, and that, and that he's preserved it after all of these years? You expect us to believe that? And you really, you really go to church twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday, and if there's a special meeting, you, and you sit there all, the, all those times and listen to someone stand and, and teach and preach God's word. You do that. You sort of get the idea, don't you? That the world is not real interested in hearing from God. But that does not change, listen, that does not change the fact. That does not change the fact that God still has the right to speak into every area of our lives. And if he wants to do it through creation, so be it. And he's going to do it through his word, no doubt about it. But you and I have to be open to it, and we have to read it, and we have to, and he's going to do it through preaching, but we've got to be present in order to hear it. And I just want you to say, God, God, God is still speaking to us. And you, you should know again that the world thinks what you're doing here tonight is a colossal waste of time. But you know better, don't you? Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you for one Amen. The world, the world, let's try that again. The world says that what you're doing here tonight is a colossal waste of time. But you know better, don't you? Thank you. Thank you. You're making me feel better about myself. That what I'm doing is not a waste of time. What any of us are doing is not a waste of time. Listen, many believers think that a Sunday night preaching service is a waste of time today. Did you know that? Christians believe that. They believe that. But you're here tonight. You're here tonight. And here's why. Because you know differently. You believe God speaks to you through the preaching and teaching of his word. And that's why you're here. It's why you've made the effort. Gas prices are a mile high. It's a beautiful day. You could be doing yard work. You could be golfing. You could be doing any number of things. But you said, no, no, God has a message for me. And that's why you're here. And I applaud you for that. So God is speaking. But notice, secondly, as we consider God having the right to speak in every area of life, are you listening? God is speaking. Are you listening? Here's a good question to ask yourself. Has God spoken to you recently? Have you heard him recently? Let that sink in for just a moment. It is amazing to me how, how, how we can, all of us, myself included, how we can go sometimes weeks, maybe even months, and not hear from God. It's not that he's not speaking to us. It's just we have silenced him or we've gotten too busy, or we've not slowed down long enough. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm married, and, and um, my, my wife is really, really good at sort of you know, getting me refocused. She has, this, she has this gift, you know. And she'll say, you know, I feel like we're not connecting. And I'm sitting here going, I think we're connecting, you know. I mean, I'm home every night, and, you know, we have meals together, and, you know, we're good. And she's sitting here going, no, 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 we're, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff always about the kids or it's about ministry or life or whatever, but, but I, feel, I feel like, you know, we're not, you know, we need, to, we need to go out and do something tonight so that we can just sit down and just talk and just look at each other. And she'll look at me and say, put the phone away. And I'll be like, yes, ma'am, you know, and do what I'm told, right? She has a gift, a gift. You know, God wants to do the same thing in your life. God wants to do the same thing in your life. And it is possible to come to church week after week month after month, and maybe even to still read your Bible, 
And, and yet for God to have, to have to sort of corner you just a little bit and say, we're not connecting. We're not connecting. Oh, you're, you're sitting in the church services, but your mind is a million miles away. You're focused on what needs to be done or on this or on that, this problem and that problem. And, and just as we have to sometimes get refocused in a marriage, listen, you and I, we have to get refocused in, a, in our relationship with the Lord as well. And so that's a good question to ask ourselves. Have you heard God speak to you recently? And if so, what did he talk to you about? And then what did you do with what he talked to you about? Did you just say, well, that sounds good, that's nice, and file it away for maybe future use? Or did you make adjustments there in that moment? Because listen, God is speaking. That's not the question. The question is, are you listening? Am I listening? Here's a question. If God hasn't spoken to you recently, why hasn't he? It's a convicting thought, isn't it? God, why haven't, why haven't you addressed an area of my life? Why haven't I heard from you? If you, went, if you went several weeks or months without hearing from a family member, what would you do? Pick up the phone and call them, wouldn't you? As a pastor, if we, if we have a member that isn't around for a while and we don't know that they're out of town or that they're sick, I, you, you pick up the phone and we're going to make a phone call. We're going to make a visit. Hey, what's going on? What's happening? We haven't seen you in a while. We miss you. How is it that we can go months without hearing from God and, and not bother us? And we don't realize it. And we don't think about it. And it doesn't trouble us. Are you listening I believe God wants to speak consistently. I, what I mean by that is I believe God wants to speak to you daily. He wants to speak to you minute by minute even. To think that the God of heaven wants to communicate with me personally to me is an amazing thought. An amazing thought. Second main truth that I find in this, in this text and, and just for this overview of chapter number 10 is this, number two, is how you live matters. How you live matters. So number one, God has the right to speak into every area of your life. And why does, that matter? Why, does that, why does that important that God speaks in every area of your life? Well, here's why. Because how you live makes a difference. How you live matters. And I want to highlight four, four things very quickly from our text. Number one, how you live matters to your family. How you live matters to your family. Look in verse number one. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Now, I don't have to tell you, I don't have to tell you how disappointed my father is when I, when I talk about how pathetic I am working on cars, and I can see it, it's all over his face. He's just, he cringes. He cringes, like, I did that poor of a job with him, you know? I mean, I had him for 18 years in my house, and I, and I, and I gave him that little, that is so sad, and it is so pathetic, and I get it, I understand that, all right? A, a, a wise son maketh a glad father, and my dad's not very glad tonight. I just tell you, he's just not very glad tonight. But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. So how, listen, how you live, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, from what Solomon says here, how you live matters to your family. You, you know this as well as I do. There are some brokenhearted people in this church tonight. And your heart is broken. Your heart is broken because you have a child who's away from the Lord and you have a child who's away from this book. And as a result, listen, moms, moms in here tonight, oh, there's a heaviness there. That cannot, be, that cannot be weighed with a physical scale, but it's there nonetheless. You, you young people that are sitting close to your parents tonight and you're sitting in a pew, understand, listen, that, that there are some parents in here tonight that their children, their children sat in the pew next to them years ago. They're in that same spot. 
So, so don't, don't in your mind think, well, I could, never, I could never go down that path. I'll be just fine. No, no, no. no. Listen, the, the world is good, the devil is good, and your flesh wants what your flesh wants. And so you better, you better understand, listen, you better understand that how you live matters to your family. Now, I just have to, I just have to tell you that while my dad is immensely disappointed in me in some areas, I think, I think that he's grateful that as a, as a man that I'm in church that I'm preaching God's word, and that I'm trying to raise my family to love the Lord. And, 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 and whether I can tell the difference between one tool and another, or what is a spark plug? What is a spark plug anyways? I don't, who cares? Spark plug, come on. Whether I know how to jump a car with jumper cables, I do know how to do that, although I've shocked myself a time or two, you know. But you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what really matters what really matters is, is living a life that is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. How you live matters to your, to your family. It matters. It's, it makes a difference. The word heaviness here, it means depressed or grieved. John wrote in, second John, or excuse me, in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Well, let's just kind of walk that, walk that out a little bit. If, if walking in truth matters that much to a parent, then wouldn't the opposite also be true? What I mean by that is there's no great, if there's no greater joy than your children walk in truth, then there is no greater heartache than for a son or daughter to walk away from the truth that they have been taught. Children, listen, young people, listen, we, we, ought, not, we, ought, not to, we ought not to do the right thing because, well, it'll hurt my mom and dad if I don't. You ought to have a deeper motivation than that. But do keep in mind the fact that how you live matters to your family. Keep that in mind. And understand that, okay, yeah, you can do that. You, you, you can maybe do that, but think about, think about the tears. Think about the heartache. Think about the heaviness that might come in the life of those that you love. Notice, notice secondly, how you live matters to the Lord. Look at verse number three. The Bible says, The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. Verse number six. Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Did you know that the, the Lord is personally invested? He is personally invested in making sure that the soul of the righteous does not famish. Well, at the same time, listen, at the same time, he is personally invested in casting away the substance of the wicked. So think about this. God is watching you as you live your life and he is more than able to bless and reward you for a life well lived. But also he is able to judge and chasten those who reject and ridicule his ways and his paths. So how you live matters. It matters to your family. It matters to the Lord. He is watching. He is watching you and me and all of us as we live our lives. And those who live their lives in a way that is pleasing to him, he'll make sure you're taken care of. Oh, that could mean a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts. But just know this, God, David wrote, I believe it was David who wrote, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will take, God says, I won't, I won't let the righteous famish. I won't let them starve. I won't let them wither away to nothing. I will take care of them. Why? Because how you live matters to the Lord. Number three, how you live matters in your finances. Verses four and five the Bible says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Laziness, laziness and slothfulness are a sure way to financial headaches and eventually ruin. On the other hand, diligence and hard work 
put you in a good position to thrive financially. Listen, the golden life is never financial prosperity. But because finances are important, they're important to our way of living and to the way we live, each man should long to have some level of success in this realm. And the only way to do that is to work hard and to be diligent. Very few, oh, there's a few, but very few ever luck into financial independence and prosperity. So how are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? Well, hard work and diligence are critical. So how you live matters in your finances. Finally, number four, how you live matters to your legacy. Look in verse number seven. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. You know, I uh, preach a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals. In fact, I think, I think in the three years, a little bit more than three years I've been pastor, I think in the church alone I've preached 26 or 27 funerals. I'm talking about in this sanctuary. That doesn't include funerals that were done in funeral homes and you know, different places. That's a lot of funerals. That's a lot of them. And you know, I, I, I have to tell you that early on in my ministry, because I wasn't the pastor, when someone in the church died, they obviously called the pastor and called me. And so I cut my teeth, if I can use that term and do so in a, you know, but you gotta learn these things. I, I, I did a lot of funerals for people that I didn't know them and they didn't know me. And usually, usually fairly early on, it was, it was abundantly clear. It was abundantly clear that, that this person, the legacy they were leaving behind was not a good one. I don't know, probably five or six years ago, I got a phone call from a, a name that rung a bell to me, but it had been a long, long time since I'd heard the name. And um, they were calling the church. They wanted somebody to do a funeral, and I just so happened to be in the office. I wasn't the pastor at this point in time, and I agreed to do the funeral. As my custom is, I, I set up a time to... Uh, to meet with the family. I think the time that I was actually going to meet with the family because we could work out, you know, I was going to have to go to the funeral home for the viewing itself. The service was going to be the next day. And I remember it was a beautiful day. It was over on the far east side of town. And I remember I, I ran into the family as they were going into the funeral home and I, and I chatted with them for just a little bit. I said, listen, I, I'm going to be doing the service. And, and um, I, said, I said, a lot of times somebody, you know, the family members like to say a word or two. You know, we refer to that as a eulogy. I said, is there anybody in the family that would like to say anything? And the son of this man Immediately, he said, oh, no, no, no. I said, well, I, I understand. I, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do. I, I certainly get it. it. It's an emotional thing. And, and, and then there's the, you know, the fact that a lot of people don't like to stand in, in public and speak. And he, and he began to hung, hang his head in shame. He said, no, 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 that's, that's not what this is about. He said, that's not what this is about. And he said, my dad was an abusive man. And he said, none of us, none of us have anything good to say about him. And I thought to myself, it's probably one of the saddest things I've ever heard, that a man would die, and that on his, on his, on, on his last day, when it, before his body is lowered into the ground, his children, his children would decline and say, we have, you want us to say something about him? We have nothing good to say. Look at verse number seven again. The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. See, so does it matter the way that you live? It matters. Because how you live, listen, matters to your legacy. I'm thinking of myself as I look across this room. Some of you, some of you, when it comes time to do your funeral, and I, and I hate to say it that way, but that's what I do as a pastor. You are going to give me so much to say I won't even be able to get it all in. Truly. I mean, honestly. I mean that, I mean that in a very respectful way. I mean, there, I, I, stories will be endless of the things that you've done and the impact that you've made and how could we possibly get it all in in an hour service? How can we do it? It's impossible. There may be, however, there may be some people here in, in which, you know, the, 
The pastor might have to make some things up at your funeral. Maybe your family members would have to get up and maybe embellish a few things and maybe, you know, maybe say them in a, you know, in a certain way to, you know, make, make them look a little bit better about, you know, because, you know, in death, everybody's a saint, right? Don't live that way. Live now, live now so that the, when the day comes, it's time for somebody to speak on your behalf and to talk about your life and the way that you lived. They'll be able to stand up and they'll, they, they won't be able to get it all in. There'll be too much to say, too much good to say. The memory of the just is blessed. The name of the wicked shall rot.